praying about what message to um, preach about, so I was looking at all these different topics and reading through the Bible, because you know, that's what I'm supposed to do, you know, I read the Bible. Loosen up, guys, all right? And um, as I was reading more and more, I felt like God gave me a really, really powerful word, but it's not in a new series, it's not in a new topic. I felt like God wanted me to close out our Kingless Kingdom series for the first message of the year. And I'm just going to go ahead, go ahead and tell you at 7 o'clock, I'm not going to rush this because this is, I believe this is a prophetic word and an encouraging word for the church for the year. But it is the last three chapters of Judges. Don't worry, a lot of that's reading. But let me tell you, if you've been, we've been doing this entire book of Judges and if you thought that they couldn't do one more thing worse, this is probably the worst, most horrible story in the book of Judges we're about to read tonight. And I believe God showed me how this is pretty close to a picture of what the church has become and what we need to be aware of of what we cannot be. So as I prayed about a title for this message, I believe this is a perfect title going into 2021. Tonight's message, if you're taking notes, is this. No more kingless kingdoms. Amen. No more kingless kingdoms. So I'm excited. Y'all want to know when I'm going to start the series on next week? All right, just come next week and you'll find out. I'm praying about doing a series on the seven letters in Revelation. But I don't know if I'm I'm not, I'm not if I'm ready yet, but some of y'all are like, yeah. Anyways, I'm going to pray. I'm going to get into this teaching because it's going. I'm excited. I'm glad you guys are here. Wow, 24 hours. I thought I'd be tired, but I'm, I'm ready. Jacob, you tired? Yep. <laughs> I do want to, I think we need to give some honor because Jacob and Jessica um, not only helped get all this together among others in the worship team but Jacob stayed Jacob and Jessica stayed all night to make sure that this was running the entire night can we honor that for Jacob and Jessica that's awesome so so good well Lord we just thank you so much for everything you're doing in this house and everything you're doing in the house is represented and I believe in going forward in 2021 that there is going to be unity where it needs to be and that we are moving forward as your church reclaiming territory that the enemy thinks he has and Lord I pray tonight as you speak through me that we not hear my words or my thoughts or my opinions but we hear your truth Holy Spirit use me in whatever way you see fit Lord we love you and we praise you in Jesus name we pray everybody said amen amen thank you Jacob (coughs) week 16 no more kingless kingdoms we're going to be in Judges 19 through 21 y'all ready all right. Well, in the last message in Judges, can we, Josh, can you bring those house lights up? I don't want people to fall asleep. We have been worse than 24 hours. Thanks, buddy. In our last message, just to make sure we're all up to date, um, we saw that false idols were being built in Micah's house. And false priests and false confirmations and all kinds of false things because People were trying to create their own versions of God. People were trying to take what their thought of God that God was and conform him to their image 
rather than being conformed into his image. Much like the church of today. Jacob, when you go up there, if you don't mind, can you turn these lights on for me on the stage? It's scene number two. Just turn them up. But there are many, many people tend to try to put God in this box of how we think God should look like and how God should operate. And we wrap God up in what we call theology and doctrine. And we call him a God beyond our understanding, but we don't let him operate outside of our understanding. And that's what they were trying to do. They were trying to conform him to their own image, even though God said, don't make any idols of me. Don't make any image of me. Don't do that. Just worship me. You already got that wrong in the, gold, in, in the, the, the golden calf, and now the, 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 these people are getting it wrong again with Micah, and they were making all these idols and this, this false temple and all these things. And, tonight, and what we're doing is we're seeing the spiritual condition of Israel and judges. And tonight... As if it hadn't got bad enough, as I've said, this is probably as bad as it can get what we're about to see in the next few chapters of Judges. We start off reading in the first verses, but don't put it up there yet. In verse 1, it actually says, in those days Israel had no king. And I want, you to make, I want to make sure that we highlight that because we need to remember this because what we're about to read, some scholars say, just skip over this and just understand the point. You need to understand that what we're about to read, the reason we're about to see it is because they had no king. They were doing what they wanted, how they wanted, what they thought, how they fought. And the idea of a king telling us what to do was a foreign concept. And that's where we are in America. We, don't like, the, we like the idea of King Jesus on a throne. But when it comes to the idea of a God as our king that supersedes our opinion, we like to put God over here and let us, well, let us have the freedom to have our own thoughts and our own desires and our own ways and let us have our own opinions and let us have our own decisions. And God says, well, it shows that you have been accustomed to democracy because in my government, I don't want you to go off of what your opinion is. I want you to sacrifice your way and accept my way. I want you to continually be renewed by transforming your mind and submit your fallen mind to my perfect will and knowledge. And if you will transform that and submit your ways to my kingship, I promise you, you will love the outcome. I know you better than you know yourself. I created you before you were in your mother's womb. I knit you from your innermost being. Trust me, I know you better than your messed up mind thinks it knows yourself. Y'all right? So setting up that context, this is what happens in Judges chapter 19 verses 1 through 4. Now in those days, Israel had no king. There was a man from the tribe of Levi living in a remote area of the hill country of Ephraim. One day he brought home a woman from Bethlehem in Judah to be his concubine. After about four months, I'm sorry, but she became angry with him and returned to her father's home in Bethlehem. After about four months, her husband set out for Bethlehem to speak personally to her and persuade her to come back. 
He took with him a servant and a pair of donkeys, and when he arrived at her father's house, her father saw him, welcomed him, and her father urged him to stay a while, so he stayed three days eating, drinking, and sleeping there. Concubine. This was the Levite's legal partner, not a wife. Basically, it was simply a concubine was the legal form of a mistress. Because when the, when the culture is apart from God, you tend to legalize sin. We love to legalize abortion, homosexual marriage. We love to legalize smoke what you want because it makes you feel bad, and we justify it because it's not as bad as the other illegal things. But God's bigger, thank God. You can tell how far the culture is apart from God when you start to legalize things that replace what he can do. And replace, when he says, let me be the thing that gives you peace, and you're, lock, you're looking for ulterior motives or ulterior ways to bring peace, I'm going to just go ahead and tell you, you have put a God above him. 2021 is going to be a tough year. I'm bringing it down. So he's got a legal mistress. He's married and he's got a concubine. And basically what happens, the concubine, if it says she become angry with him. In some translations, your translation might say something like she played the role, the concubine played the role of a harlot. In other words, she got jealous that her husband, as they called him, because that was a legal term for the concubine's man, she couldn't be called a wife, but he could be called the husband. She got jealous, so she said, all right, you're going to sleep with multiple people? I'm going to do the same thing. She played her role against him. Slept with others and then said, peace, I'm out of here. She went back to her father's house and then four months later, the Levite man said, I miss you. I miss my indulgence. I miss the thing that was satisfying my desires. And it says her husband ran after her. When she was angry, he's got this concubine and a wife, and she got angry because she was probably jealous. She's jealous for her husband. And I was reading that. We can kind of take that for what it is, or I felt like God showed me something. She's jealous for her husband. And I think it's kind of a picture of how we should be married to God but we treat God as the concubine to our other marriages. We claim to be his bride, but we sleep around with any other bride, with any other husband that we can get our hands on. Oh, some of y'all look at me like... We the bride of Christ. But husband, God, you good. But let me sleep with my addiction. Let me have a relationship with my sin life. 
We claim to be the bride of Christ, but we're not solely devoted as the bride. We have played the harlot against our husband. And I'm a, I am man enough to call myself God's bride. I'm cool with that. Just don't put a white dress on me. The Levite arrives, and the father urges him to stay. He stays three days. Verse 5. On the fourth day, the man was up early, ready to leave. But the woman's father said to his son-in-law, Have something to eat before you go. So the two men sat down together, had something to eat and drink, and then the woman's father said, Please stay another night and enjoy yourself. The man got up to leave, but his father-in-law kept urging him to stay. So he finally gave in and stayed the other, another night. On the morning of the fifth day, he was up early again, ready to leave. And again, the woman's father said, have something to eat, and then you can leave later this afternoon. So they had another day of feasting. Later, as the man and his concubine and servant were preparing to leave, his father-in-law said, look, it's almost evening. Stay the night. Enjoy yourself. Tomorrow, you can get up early, be on your way. But this time, the man was determined to leave. So he took his two saddled donkeys and his concubine and headed in the direction of Jabus, that is Jerusalem. The father wanted his daughter out the house. Look at him. Hey Amen. I know you're married, but if you want my daughter to be your concubine, you go ahead. No one else is taking her. I'll treat you like a king. Let's make peace. Here's some food. Drink up. You want some bread? Stay out of the night. Come on. Just, just feast in my house. Take my daughter. She, she getting old. No other man want her. You want her to be your mistress? Take her. Take her. And that's where we're at in the church. Too many peace treaties with the wrong thing. Because we just want everyone to be happy and feel loved. Because it's all about let's everyone feel loved in the church. So let's just accept everything because of love. Let's get something right. We are to love everybody. But loving everyone and making a peace treaty with someone's lifestyle and choices and never loving them enough to pull them closer into relationship with Jesus that allows the choices of their life to have a conviction to fall, those are two very different things. And there's been way too many peace treaties of all we want is let's get people in the church so we can pay our bills and we're not going to offend you so that we can keep our buildings open. And there's been too many peace treaties made in the church. We want everyone to be happy and feel love, and the love they feel is empty, cheap, immature, and it's not pure. This is good. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 6. This is a very popular scripture, but I want to highlight a few words. Love is patient. That means you might accept them, but you got to be patient with them because the reason you love them is you're taking them on a road to discipleship to discipline the parts of their life that you don't want to make peace with. So love is patient with what you don't love about them. It might take long, but you never say it's okay. And some of y'all may not like me saying this, but I'm going to anyways. Because you staying here is not my goal. 
If you get offended in leagues, I speak truth. Hallelujah. But if you go, yeah, if you go to your homosexual friend's marriage and bless that covenant, you are making a peace treaty. But I love them. Love them enough to show them what you won't stand for. Because I can tell you that Jesus wouldn't have looked on that with favor. And I know that's hard. I've got gay friends. I've got gay family. But I can tell you this. If any of my family who is homosexual friends ask me to be at their wedding, my answer will always be no. Because I want them to see Jesus, not Kyle. And that's hard. But at some point, we got to make treat. We got to break treaties with things we don't need to make treaties with, and stand for. That is why we're at a place in our nation where we have said it's okay for this. Oh, well, let's love them where they are, and we have messed up the idea of love. That's why we're at a place where there's actually conversations saying let's let pedophile be a sexual agenda, because we've made peace treaties with something that didn't seem too too bad as long as they just don't get in our circles. But now, it's everywhere. See, even the kids are saying, yeah. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable. It keeps no record of being wrongs. Look at this. It doesn't rejoice about injustice. That's what this father's doing. Yeah, take my daughter as your mistress forever and ever. Amen. Do you see what the father's doing? Rejoicing about injustice. But rejoices whenever the truth wins out. And here we have a love for an injustice of a concubine going against the command of God to be with one woman. And the concubine's father is rejoicing about it and celebrating I have to ask you, what do you break bread with in your life and what do you justify? We've got to break the peace treaties and walk in the pure love of the king. And because they're making this peace and an injustice, something happens. Timing sets them up for this very horrible thing we're about to see. Because if you remember what we just read, the Levite, he was scheduled to leave on the day number four, but they were so involved with this love, 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 stay, 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 rejoice about injustice, rejoice about injustice, that he convinced the Levite to stay an extra day, stay through the day, and leave at night. And in this time period, when you embark on a long journey, where were they going? Bethlehem? Or Jerusalem? From Bethlehem to Jerusalem? You didn't go at night. You started out in the morning. You didn't travel, and because if you travel at night, you'd have to stop in places that you might not have been made to stop in. And that's a word for someone. You've made too many peace treaties with wrong things, and you've had to take a pause in your life where God never meant for you to take a pause. So break the treaties so you can get out of the rest area. <laughs> okay? All right? Okay. 
So look at what happens in verse 11. It was late in the day when they neared Jabez, Jerusalem. And the manservant said to him, let's stop at this Jebusite town and spend the night there. Nah, his master said, we can't stay in this foreign town where there's no Israelites. Who are the Israelites? The Israelites are the people of what? Of God. He says, we can't stay here. Instead, let's go on to Gibeah. In other words, he's like, we can't stay in this pagan town full of non-believers. Let's go to the Let's go to the, the town with the people of God. Let's go to the church town. You ever find yourself that sometimes the church people are worse than the pagan people? Yeah, you're about to find out in this story. No, we can't go where the unbelievers are. Let's go to the safe place, the church people. I can't tell you how many stories of people that have come to Relentless who have experienced so much hurt, they've lost faith in the church. Thank God the Lord told me to change the way we did church three years ago because I believe Relentless and other churches in this house, we are set up to be the kind of church where we are the fathering prodigal son, returning home type church where we say we're going to embrace you where everyone else just wasted what you had. So... They're like, no, no, we can't, we can't stay here with the, with the unbelievers. Let's go to the church town, the good, godly people, the Israelites. So instead, we will go on to Gibeah, 13. Come on, let's try to get as far as Gibeah or Ramah. We'll spend the night in one of those towns. So they went on. The sun was setting as they came to Gibeah, a town in the land of Benjamin. Benjamin was one of the 12 tribes of Israel. So they stopped there to spend the night. They rested in the town square, but no one took them in for the night. They needed a place to stay. They couldn't stay in the pagan town because it was too dangerous. So they went to Gibeah where the church people were, the godly people, but something wasn't right because God commanded his people to be hospitable. And here they were in a town full of the people of God and no one took them in. And they're outside at night staying in a town square. And if we're going to walk forward in 2021, the kingless kingdom of our character has got to be submitted, no longer looking out for yourself, but being committed to being a servant of all. Because we like to get that part of our kingdoms kingless. We always look out for ourselves before we do anything. That's exactly what's going on in this town right now. They were in a square, outside, probably cold, at night, in the church town. And no one's doing a thing. Because remember, they were a people of God that had no king. So they weren't under kingship. They weren't, they, they weren't even listening to what God wanted. They called themselves the people of God, but they were all about themselves. And we, moving into 2021, we have got to make sure at the top of our mind that everything we do, it cannot be about ourselves. There can never be a motive of what's for me first. If you truly believe that God will satisfy your need, then don't worry about your need. What are we going to do? Mark 9, 35. He, Jesus, sat down called the 12 disciples over to him and said, whoever wants to be first must take last place and be the servant of everyone else. You know what first is? 
the church being the lender and not the borrower. And what pastors do is they use that to preach tithing. We need to be the lender, not the borrower. Give us all your money so we can have everything. Right? Lender, not the borrower. Well, how do I get to become the lender? How do I get to the top of the game? How does the church become first? The way the church becomes first and becomes the thing that will influence the entertainment and the city and the government and culture is simply this. Be a servant to all. It ain't that hard. We got to serve, and it needs to start in the house just as much as outside the house. Because church people love to go feed the homeless. But church people are the most easily offended people. And you get offended because you want them to serve your need instead of you posturing your mentality to serve their need. And if church people would get the mindset of it ain't about my taste, it ain't about my choice, it ain't about what I want, if y'all, if everyone, including myself, would get the mindset of my goal is to serve all of you, and if you would get your mindset that your goal is to serve everyone else, no offense can possibly take place, and we will move to the lender and not the borrower. But we can't do that because the church is the most bickering group of people in the world. Why do you think the people that don't know God don't want to come in? Why would they? So we, we, we got to change this whole thing. You think we actually make God look attractive to people who have what they think is peace? Am I talking to anybody? Servant of all. Well, verse 16. That evening, an old man came home from his work in the fields. He was in the hill country of Ephraim. But he was living in Gibeah, where the people were from the tribe of Benjamin. So he was not from the tribe of Benjamin. He was actually the same culture as these people. When he saw the travelers sitting in the town square, he asked them where they were from and where they were going. We, well, we've been in Bethlehem and Judah, the man replied, and we're on our way to a remote area in the hill country of Ephraim, which is my home. See, you see what he's saying? Well, Ephraim's my home and the guy's from Ephraim. I traveled to Bethlehem, now I'm returning home, but no one's taking us in for the night. Even though we've got everything we need, we have straw, feed for our donkeys, plenty of bread, wine for ourselves. They're like, well, we're not out there holding signs that say, give us $10 for lunch. We got everything we need. All we need is a place to stay. We, we don't need any. We just need a place to stay. Well, you're welcome to stay with me, the old man said. I'll give you anything you might need. But whatever you do, do not spend the night in the square. This is like one of those, dun, 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 like the plot starting to think, whatever, whatever. What, Whatever you do, do not spend the night in the square. Right? <laughs> so he took them home with him and fed the donkeys. And after they washed their feet, they ate and drank together. 
The only person to extend hospitality was a man from their own region, not, not the native people caring for strangers. The church can't be exclusive. Look what he says. He says, whatever you do, do not stay out here in the square. A man not from the town. But isn't that what the church does? We love to show hospitality when it serves our purpose. Church are the most loving people on Sunday when they say, fill out a connect card. But then when you see them in the grocery store, you see them real. And then, hey, how you doing? Uh, oh, hey. Hey, I'm, I'm doing great. Right? Or like when you want to talk at church, it's, oh, yeah, let us pray for you. We'll go, to, we'll go to the prayer room. We got an altar call. We'll give you 25 minutes. You get in real life. Hey, I just found out that so-and-so is dying. Can you pray for me? Well, I've got an appointment in 10 minutes. But you call yourself a servant to all. I bet you you could reschedule the appointment if it fit your need. You see what I'm saying? <laughs> see, this is just the stuff that no one wants to talk about. But y'all, 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 I bet y'all are thinking of people right now that have done this stuff, including me. So, verse, <laughs> verse 22. While they were, now this is where it gets real. While they were enjoying themselves, a crowd of troublemakers from the town surrounded the house. They began beating at the door and shouting to the old man, bring out the man who's staying with you so we can have sex with him. That ain't a typo. Y'all thought Solomon and Gomorrah was just one incident in the Bible? They banging on the door. Hey, bring out the man. We want to have, I know we got kids, that's all right. We want to have sex with him. Bring him out. Now, we can move forward, but let me just stay on that verse for a little bit. Number one, aside from the perversion, you notice something? The the townspeople just come up to the door and start demanding, bring out the man. We want to have sex with him. Which means... They were not blind to the man and the women's presence in the square. They knew who they were. They watched them sit in that square. They watched them go to the old man's house. So they just give us the man. A perverted demand. Bring them out. We want to have sex with them. But I would say it is just as perverted to watch people come into a church and watch to see only what you can get out of them rather than what you can pour into them. Because think about what happened here. They came into their town and they just watched. When can we get out of them what we want out of them? And they never met a need. They never ask them for anything. What does church people do? What has the church model become? This is going to sound judgmental, but come to our church. Serve on our teams. 
do our thing. Get involved in our classes. Do our stuff. Oh, you a musician? We love you. Oh, you do child care? Thank God. Every church, right? And then someone says, well, I do deliverance ministry. Oh, praise Jesus. Right? I have a heart to pastor people. Oh, that's so good. We need children's workers. We watch to see what we can get out of people, but we never want to invest in them. This is exactly what these townspeople were doing. They were just watching. When is the right time that we can get exactly what we want? Verse 23. The old man stepped outside to talk to them. It's a brave old man. No, my brothers, don't do such an evil thing, for this man is a guest in my house, and such a thing will be shameful. It's a sweet old man, right? Nope. Look at verse 24. Here, take my virgin daughter and the man's concubine. I'll bring them out to you. You can abuse them and do whatever you like. Just don't do such a shameful thing to this man. See, we almost forget about how corrupted the Levite is. And, we, and even though this old man is hospitable, he is just as corrupted. Because they're not looking out for anyone but themselves. They're looking out for themselves and making a way for sinful desires. They're not saying, get the heck out of here. They're saying, oh, you want to have sex? Don't take the man, but here's my virgin daughter. Here's his concubine. Do what you want. Just don't touch us. Philippians 2.4, don't look out only for your own interests but take an interest in others too. We cannot be a church who only look out for ourselves. That is no better than a church who is not hospitable because you can be hospitable and selfish because you're hospital for when it suits you. I see a day, and I think we're already walking in that day, but I see an even greater day when people walk into this house, they don't feel like we have to earn our way in. The moment they roll on the campus, come to a, a home, come to a gathering, for some reason they just feel like we're a part of this. Because if we don't have to earn righteousness, why should they have to earn righteousness on our standards? Because we've made church a business model. Get through our culture to get into our exclusivity and our membership and our, our thing. Church was never meant to be a model for salespeople. It was... Church is a place where people come together to get empowered in the gifts that God gave them to go and make disciples of the entire culture and region and city they were placed in. Not come prove themselves as holy to a bunch of unholy people called clergy. 
this okay? Okay. Verse 25, but they wouldn't listen to him. So the Levite took hold of his concubine and pushed her out the door. The men of the town, this is where it gets horrible. The men of the town abused her all night, taking turns raping her until morning. And finally at, at dawn, they let her go. See, y'all didn't know this stuff's in the Bible. It's because y'all just read the Romans Road and crucifixion and Psalms. At daybreak, the woman returned to the house where her husband was staying, but she collapsed at the door of the house and lay there until it was light. Let me just break this down for you. She was raped over and over all night long, and when she got home, she fell down dead. And so many people today have their way with whatever they want that fits their desires, and we call it church. Because remember, this is the city of Israelites. The city should have been influenced. The, the, the Israelites should have been changing the city. But here we are in the midst of a city where they said, oh, let's go to the city of church people. They would have been better off staying in the pagan town. If that's not a picture of America today, I don't know what is. Atheists and millennials and most people don't want to come to a church because they feel like this is not the safe place. Because what we do is have our way with people and when they leave, they feel burned and mistreated and abused and worse off and it makes people regret ever worshiping a God that would do that. Well, why are they blaming on God? Because we are the mirror image of him. And if they hear that and believe that, then their image of God is what they see in you. So you should take your lifestyle seriously. Ouch. I want, I want to see a day where we influence everything. Someone asked me, I don't know if you've been noticing, but I get a lot of darts thrown at me lately. Challenged me on a lot of beliefs and stuff, which I'm cool with. I'm, I know my God very well, and there's a lot more to learn. Someone said, are you a part of that movement that believes you should, like, influence all the, the, the mountains and spheres of influence? I'm like, what do you mean? They're like, well, like, the church should influence entertainment and government. And, and I'm like, yeah. Well, I don't, I don't believe that. Well, then we don't serve the same God. Who are you to say that? Well, I'm Kyle Garrison. I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. <laughs> I want to see a day where people of God represent him so well that we start to influence every single sphere of the culture so that when people come to Savannah, they don't leave with a demon attachment because they went on a ghost tour celebrating and making peace treaties with the demonic which some of us do in here probably, and you don't even know it, right? I've done it. I, I, used, to, I, I used to love that stuff. When I, younger in my 20s, I, I mean, I, I've repented of it. I took a few of my youth students. I was a youth minister. We went to the Sorrel Weed House in Savannah, took us into a voodoo room, demonic stuff. 
you, know, you don't realize how much weight is on me because I'm going to have to answer for that. Because I look at their life now and they messed up and immoral and they, they claim God but they don't know how real he is. I don't know if it was everything that I did, but I do know that I had a responsibility and I put them in a situation making a peace treaty with the demonic that we call fun ghost tours in the city of Savannah. We've got, I, I have experienced for myself and I'm just trying to help you out. We've got to cut peace treaties with things that we should not celebrate. So that when people come to Savannah, they no longer have to worry about making the wrong choice because we have influenced the culture so much that those things, those businesses start to fall. Is this okay? Okay. If it's, if it's not, just pray that you see it's, it is. So <laughs> look at verse 27. When her husband opened the door to leave, there lay his concubine with her hands on the threshold. Now remember, he waited four months and he missed her. He didn't miss her. You know what he missed? Her role. He said, get up. Let's go. Look at the, look at the lack of compassion. He didn't say, are you okay? He didn't check her. He said, get up. Let's go. But there was no answer. So he put her body on his donkey, took her home. When he got home, he took a knife and cut his concubine's body into 12 pieces. Yeah, y'all thought Netflix made this stuff up? They got it from the Bible. <laughs> I'm sorry. Then he sent one piece to each tribe throughout all the territory of Israel. How many tribes of Israel? 12. How many body pieces? 12. Everyone who saw it said, such a horrible crime has not been committed in all the time Israel left Egypt. The end of Judges, this was the worst crime in history since they left Egypt. Think about it. What are we going to do? Who's going to speak up? This Levite was so heartless, he gets up, he says, let's go. There's no compassion. Gets home, cuts her up in order to do one thing, deliver a message. It's a good message. He said, guys, we've got to take care of this unrighteous act. But we've got to care about the unrighteous acts a lot sooner than we see the obvious fruit of unrighteous acts. Because he didn't have an issue with the unrighteous act of I'll take this concubine. Let's get real. If he would have stuck with his wife, the concubine would have never been in the position to get into a town where a town full of men raped her all night and killed her. So what's the unrighteous act here? What they did or what he put her in position for taking a concubine when he worships a God that says, here are the Ten Commandments. One woman. Let's put that in today's terms. When are we going to get just as offended with our unrighteous living as we are about a treasonous election? When are we going to get just as offended at our unrighteous living as we are about murder or abortion? Because we'll stand up about abortion in a heartbeat. We'll stand up about the treasonous election in a heartbeat. 
We'll stand up about all these things, but when it comes to your unrighteous self, I don't know, I mean, I, that's just, you know, I'm, I'm, still, I'm still being transformed and stuff. Well, my, my Bible says when you believe in Jesus, you no longer have any right to blame your sinful desire on anything but yourself. You can clean it up because you're made right to clean it up. It's not I have to get to a place where I can be delivered. It's he saved you. It's all on you to clean it up because you are made right with God to put your hands on the mess and that mess no longer defile you. You defile it. But do you believe in your identity as a son or daughter of God that much? If you truly understand your position in the kingdom, sin would not scare you to deal with it. Because it's nothing. It's powerless. It, it has no bearing. When is excessive drinking or your mouth or your harsh words going to offend your spirit just as much as the death of an unborn? I say this year we get all about an entire life of sacrifice of seeking and no more kingless kingdoms whatsoever. Judges chapter 20. So then all the Israelites, verse 1, is this, is this can I keep going? Yeah. Then all the Israelites were united as one man. Finally, there's some sort of light in the tunnel. All the, the church came together for a cause. It's easy to get church people to come together to light a Christmas tree. But when you say, let's get together for 24 hours of worship. Okay, verse 1. Okay, Lord, I apologize. <laughs> then all the Israelites were united as one man. It's easy to get church people to give pizza to the homeless. It's easy for church people to get together and hand out bags that take 30 minutes. But when you're talking about breaking down strongholds, when you're talking about getting together and warring, well, you know, it's January 1st. I talk about COVID can't live, and we, Jesus laid hands on the leper. We ain't worried about sickness. For all those watching on the camera, I got a cold. I can't come to church this weekend. But you shout at that there's healing power in the presence of God, relentless church. I love y'all, though. We're live streaming, by the way. That's why I'm waving at the camera. I know some of y'all got some. By the way, if I can just say this. Why do I ask for permission anymore? We've had a few people, make, I think two people tested positive for COVID last week. And we haven't had one case in our church in the entirety since we opened. And I got discouraged about that, but then God showed me something a couple hours ago. He said, they hadn't been able to get it in the church. The only way the enemy was able to get your church exposed to it was from outside. So I want to encourage all you at home watching who got positive COVID tests. You didn't get it from here, and the enemy's just trying to keep you away. So can we just, can we just all lift our hands to the camera and say, in the name of Jesus, we just declare that COVID be gone and you be healed in Jesus' name. Can someone shout amen? Amen. Whew. 
All the Israelites were united as one man from Dan and north of Beersheba in the south, including those from across the Jordan and the land of Gilead. The entire community assembled in the presence of the Lord of Mizpah. The leaders of all the people in the tribes of Israel, 400,000 warriors armed with swords, took their positions in the assembly of the people of God. Some, let him scream, he's encouraged me, everyone else is quiet. Some positive, there's some positivity. All of Israel unified in a cause to deal with this issue. They gathered together, ready to take care of the injustice. Moving into 2021, now that we have been made aware of the status of the church, let's stop talking about it and let's start moving with swords raised. Word of God, truth to move into what we are called, an awakening of the sons and daughters of God to walk into the authority that world has never seen. Let's do it. I'm tired of talking about it. Let's do it. I'm telling you right now, I'm not looking to start up a small group this year. Small groups have been going on since the 80s, and everyone's still in the same place, in a small group. I'm going to tell you exactly what God told me to do this year. Raise up the leaders. Well, who are the leaders? Everyone in this house. Develop preachers, develop teachers, develop evangelists, develop administrators, and de develop what you got. We're not just going to have Bible studies anymore. We're going to develop what we got, and at the end of 2021, I'm going to work myself out of a job. I'm dead flipping serious. See, y'all laughing, but well, we're going to see what happens in 365 days. I'm ready. I'm tired of talking about it. Verse 3, words soon reached the land of Benjamin that the other tribes had gone up to Mizpah. The Israelites then asked how this terrible crime had happened. Well, the Levite, the husband of the woman who had been murdered, y'all listen to this. Y'all know this Levite's got a politician spirit in him. <laughs> My bad, y'all. My bad. My concub, not all politicians are bad. Oh, Lord, my sermon just went away. Demon, you, mm-mm. My concubine and I came to spend the night in Gibeah, a town that belongs to the people of Benjamin. That night, some, some of the leading citizens of Gibeah surrounded the house, planning to kill me. They raped my concubine until she was dead. Notice what he left out. He didn't say, I pushed her out the door. They raped my concubine. What y'all going to do? So I cut her body in 12 pieces, sent the pieces out of the territory, signed of Israel. These men have committed a terrible and shameful crime. Now then, all of you, the entire community of Israel, must decide here now what should be done. Didn't say anything about what he did. We cannot mix truth and spin it to suit our needs. And part of what the church needs to do in 2021 is we got to take responsibility of where we miss it, own it, because a lack of responsibility, that's kingless too. God, forgive me. Now, what would you have me do, not prove? You don't have to prove yourself. It's, Lord, this is what I've done. I've owned it. Forgive me. What do you want me to do now? Not, do I have to pray 46 times a day in order to prove myself? Not do I have to go to church every single day of the week to prove myself. It is not about striving. It is not about earning. You can't earn anything. You can't prove anything. 
It is, what must I do to walk out the assignment now that, now that I have owned all the misses and all the wins? What do you want me to do, Lord? Because it's not about earn. It's about I'm going to walk in my rightful place as a son or a daughter of God. You bought it for me. Now let's get to going with the identity and get out of the identity crisis. If you believe you're a son, why are you still trying to earn the right to be called one? Verse 8, all the people rose to their feet in unison and declared, none of us will return home. No, not even one of us. Instead, this is what we're going to do. This is what we will do to Gibeah. We will draw lots to decide who will attack it. One-tenth of the men from each tribe will be chosen to supply the warriors with food. The rest of us will take revenge on Gibeah of Benjamin for the shameful thing they did they have done in Israel. So all the Israelites, all the Israelites were completely unified, and they gathered together to attack the town. Seems excessive, but they were actually doing what God instructed them to do in Deuteronomy 13. God said, if there's an abomination and it proves to be true, go and strike and make it in my name. Take care of it. But here's where we get it wrong. Let God define the strike, not you. That's why he said you've been taught eye for an eye. Because your version of strike is do the same thing. We don't consult God about what kind of strike. He says strike, and we just take it in our hands. Right? That's why he says, the weapons I've given you are not of this world. They look different. So look what happens in verse 12. The Israelites sent messengers to the tribe of Benjamin. What a terrible thing has been done among you. Give up those evil men, those troublemakers from Gibeah, so we can execute them and purge Israel of this evil. That was what they were supposed to do. Just take care of the, the thing. But the people of Benjamin wouldn't listen. Instead, they came from their towns and gathered at Gibeah to fight the Israelites. And all 26,000 of their warriors armed with swords arrived in Gibeah to join the 700 elite troops who lived there. Among Benjamin's elite troops, 700 were left-handed, and each of them could sling a rock and hit a target with a hair's breadth without missing. Israel had 400,000 experienced soldiers armed with swords, not counting Benjamin's warriors. The tribe of Benjamin could have been totally spared had they just given up the men who raped this girl to death. Not to mention who were trying to create a replay of Sodom and Gomorrah. But you know what they would not do? They would not put the justice of God before the loyalty of their own tribe. We cannot put the interest of our tribes before the interest of our God. Let me say it in a different way. It's not about your race. It's not about your house. It's not about just America. It's not about just relentless. It's not about your prerogative. It's not about your agenda. This is not about your tribe. This is about God's plan. He says, I have come for the world. Even the earth is groaning for the sons and daughters to be revealed. This is much more than just even people. This is the whole thing. We forget he created it all. 
You remember that next time you curse the ground you walk on. Don't curse the thing that God created. Redeem it. You got a problem with the ground? Put your hand to it and make it better. Don't curse it. Okay? This is about walking in line with God's purpose to further his kingdom throughout all spheres of influences. Therefore, we reign in our areas under his direction and not our values so that in and not our values so that in unity all over, he reigns through many submitted leadership decisions. We've got to make sure that every decision we make as a church is not for what works for us, but what is under his guidance. Because the next step may look like the most horrible step. You remember when we came to Relentless, to this location? Everyone said, this is the most horrible idea you've ever had, Kyle. And now they're like, we were wrong. And I didn't say, told you. Maybe I did. <laughs> in, a, in a joking manner. But it's because sometimes you walk by faith and not by sight. When you walk by faith, you are walking by what God has shown you that you have no evidence that can happen. So a lot of times we make decisions about how can this work for me when God says it's not going to look like it's going to work for you for a long time, son or daughter. But trust me. And while the tribe of Benjamin is getting their entire army to fight on their own accord instead of owning the fact that some messed up and justice was needed, Israel was right in one thing. The greatest good was not unity. You notice they weren't trying to unify with the tribe of Benjamin right now? Because unity, apart from justice and truth, is unity not worth having. And unity can be a kingless kingdom. And we can't unify with everything, even if it has the name of Jesus slapped on it. Because many will say they know me and call on my name. But I will say to you, I never knew them. So when someone says, let's get together and do something for the kingdom, just because they say that they can say they believe in Jesus all they want. But you know what I'm going to start with? Well, let's get to know each other. What do you stand for? Not just how can we create an event so that people will think we're doing something and make ourselves feel better about a lot of people coming to an event that we put on. I would rather have genuine people in a smaller group than thousands upon thousands of emptiness. And I think that's kind of the image of Christ because when Jesus had all those thousands, you know what he did? He said, y'all go away. I'm going over here with my disciples. Because there comes a time to minister to the thousands. But, there's a, but there is a time to separate yourself. And I think the church has made too many compromises in what we unify with for the sake of thousands. Verse 18, before the battle, the Israelites went to Bethel and asked God, 
Well, that's good. They're finally asking God something. Which tribe should go first to attack the people of Benjamin? Well, the Lord answered Judah's to go first. So the Israelites left early the next morning, camped near Gibeah. And then they advanced toward Gibeah to attack the men of Benjamin. But Benjamin's warriors who were defending the town came out and killed 22,000 Israelites on that battlefield that day. There can be many different reasons as to why 22,000 Israelites who were fighting for a just cause after seeking God just died. They asked God, should we fight? He said, yeah, go fight. And then they died. They didn't win the battle. Then maybe even though they were seeking, they were still relying on themselves and the strategy. Been there, done that. Maybe God was trying to sift the enemy uh, or the, the army to show his power. We've seen that before as the sifting. He didn't kill him, but he said, ah, you know, take the army down to 300. Y'all remember that story? We've seen things like that, but maybe, and I think this is kind of what it is, there is just as much judgment needed on the people of Israel as the whole tribe of Benjamin because God was correcting a disobedient nation. Because it wasn't just one case of a rape or one case of homosexuality. The entire people had become self-seekers. No king and only asking God for his help when they needed him. You notice that that's what the church has become in 2020? We finally started seeking when we got scared about an epidemic. We're called to cry out when we need him, but not only when we need him. And there was no repentance in their voice. They hadn't owned the thing they did. It was, God, how do we attack? Not, Lord, before we do what you want, creating me a clean heart. Matthew 7, 5 says, hypocrite, first you need to get the red of the log in your own eye. And then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. That is the most mispreached verse in the world. Well, you need to get the log out of your own eye. The Bible says you can't judge me. That is not what the verse says. It says, deal with yourself so you can deal with your neighbor. You will be more effective of dealing with them once you deal with yourself. The reason they lost 22,000 people is because they dealing with the speck of rape and injustice and they haven't once said, Lord, deal with ours. Get your stuff postured and right so that you can deal with theirs. We're supposed to influence. We're supposed to help. Verse 22, the Israelites encouraged each other and took their positions again at the same place they had fought the previous day. They went up to Bethel, wept in the presence of the Lord until evening. Of course they're going to cry. We lost 22,000 people. It's been a hard day. That's what altar calls become in the church. It hasn't become a true place of repentance. It's become, I've messed up again. And then you get prayer and you feel better. I feel strong. And then next week, I've messed up again. Do you have a better prayer team? Not that one. They prayed over me last week. It didn't work. Right? I'm just, I'm just kicking everything. I'm just, I, don't, I don't know what that was, but verse 23. They had gone up to Bethel, wept in the presence of the Lord until eating. They asked the Lord, should we fight against our relatives and mention them again? The Lord said, go out. 
fight against them. I'm convinced God is the most sarcastic thing in the world. I love him. I, I understand sarcasm. Like when God says, go ahead, Kyle, I'm like, wait, wait a minute, God. <laughs> now, you got to give the people some credit. They're not complaining or doubting. They are encouraging each other to take their position. They are out of a posture of seeking. But here's the correction. you got to seek God without motive, and you gotta, and you got to seek God for the strategy. You don't come to God with all your strategies and say, here, God, this is what I got. Because a lot of times when you do that, you become blind and deaf to what he wants to reveal because you spent more time on your ways and your ideals. Instead of letting him confirm maybe a thought. Because we always want the credit. We always want the glory. Right? And if you've got some things in your mind, you've got some strategies, that's fine. But do not neglect that there may be something more. Don't neglect that there may be something you haven't thought of if you claim that he is a God that is beyond our understanding. So the next day they went out again to fight against the men of Benjamin, but the men of Benjamin killed another 18,000 Israelites, all of whom were experienced with the sword. Hmm. Every battle we will have to fight, even when the Lord says yes, but every battle is going to cost something. And we've got to be willing to allow it to cost us. But there is a way to ask the Lord correctly. And look at what they do. Then, the Israelites went up to Bethel, wept in the presence of the Lord, and fasted until evening. They also brought burnt offerings and peace offerings to the Lord. The Israelites went up seeking direction from the Lord. In those days, the Ark of the Covenant of God was in Bethel, and Phinehas, son of Eleazar, and grandson of Aaron, was the priest. The Israelites asked the Lord, should we fight against our relatives from Benjamin again, or should we stop? The Lord said, go. Not just go fight. Go. Tomorrow, I will hand them over to you. What's the difference? The first few times it was, God, should we go? Yeah, go. God, should we go? Yeah, go. This time they came with sacrifices and burnt offerings. You know what they were doing? Repenting. Offerings to the Lord because of they realized we have gotten some things wrong. And before we deal with their speck, Lord, let us deal with ours. Let us come clean before you, God. Now we're clean, so Lord, can you show us? Show me when I'm not walking in you. Show me where I need to clean it up. Show me where I need to get it right. And then God said, all right, tomorrow go. I got you. Verse 29, so the Israelites set an ambush all around Gibeah. They went out on the third day, took their positions at the same place as before. When the men of Benjamin came out to attack, they were drawn away from the town. And as they had done before, they began to kill the Israelites. About 30 Israelites died in the open fields along the roads, one leading to Bethel, the other leading back to Gibeah. Then the warriors of Benjamin shouted, We're defeating them as we did before. But the Israelites had planned in advance to run away so that the men of Benjamin would chase them along the roads and be drawn away from the town. When the main group of Israelite warriors reached Baal Tamar, Tamar, they turned and took up their positions. Meanwhile, the Israelites hiding in ambush to the west of Gibeah jumped up the fight. There were 10,000 elite Israelite troops who advanced 
advanced against Gibeah. The fighting was so heavy that Benjamin didn't realize the impending disaster. So the Lord helped Israel defeat Benjamin. And that day the Israelites killed 25,100 of Benjamin's warriors, all of whom were experienced swordsmen. Amen? Then the men of Benjamin saw that they were beaten. The Israelites have retreated from Benjamin's warriors in order to give them those hiding in ambush more room to maneuver against Gibeah. And then those who were hiding rushed in from all sides, killed everyone in the town. They had arranged to send up a large cloud of smoke from the town as a signal. When the Israelites saw the smoke, they turned, attacked Benjamin's warriors. By that time, Benjamin's warriors had killed about 30 Israelites, and they shouted, we're defeating them, just as we did in the first battle. But when the warriors of Benjamin looked behind them and saw the smoke rising into the sky... From every part of the town, the men of Israel turned and attacked. It's funny. They only killed 30 of God's people, and here they are killing 25,000 Benjamites. At that point, the men of Benjamin became terrified. They realized disaster was close at hand. Verse 42. So they turned around, fled before the Israelites toward the wilderness. They couldn't escape the battle. The people came out of the nearby towns. They were also killed. The Israelites surrounded the men of Benjamin, chased them relentlessly, finally overtaking them east of Gibeah. That day, 18,000 of Benjamin's strongest warriors died in battle. The survivors fled into the wilderness toward the Rock of Remen, but Israel killed 5,000 of them along the road. They continued the chase until they had killed another 2,000 near Gidim. So that day, the tribe of Benjamin lost 25,000 strong warriors armed with swords, leaving only 600 men who escaped to the Rock of Remen where they live. For four months. That's interesting. Israelites killed all the people of Benjamin except for 600. And they stayed for four months. Kind of funny, that's the exact same amount of time the concubine was away. Victory, right? God gave us victory. We got it. Victory, yeah! But this is where the people of God get it wrong. And this is where the church gets it wrong. And this is where we cannot get it wrong moving forward. Look at verse 48. Throw it up there, Josh. The Israelites returned and slaughtered Every living thing in all the towns. The people, the livestock, everything they found. They also burned down all the towns they came to. They were getting justice of men who raped a girl all night. The Lord gave them the battle. The Lord did not want them to go back into the town. And kill everything else. Because if they were going to kill everything else. And all they had. They killed all the women. All the children. Guess what the predicament is. You've got 11 tribes. That can produce babies. But now you've got the 12th tribe of Benjamin. With 600 men. And nothing else. And where the church gets it wrong, we get so zealous about victories that we start going after things that God never told us to go after. 
Because you think just because your house or your family or you were called to get this thing, that means you're called to do everything. Which tells me you don't understand that there are so many more in this area that have specific assignments. And we can't go after things that God has not told us specifically to go after. Relentless is called to do a lot of things. But we're not called to do everything. And we have to be okay with who we are, what we're called to do, and what we're not called to do. Remember what we've been talking about new wineskins and old wineskins? If you pour new wine into the old wineskin, the old wineskin will do what? Burst. Why does God tell us that? Because he says, you look at it as I don't love the old wineskin. I love it so much that I don't want you to destroy it. And I believe that's what God says, Kyle, I need you to start a church because, son, you ain't called to transition anything. Because if you're going to try to put new stuff into old stuff, and you're going to rip it apart. And one thing about Relentless, I can tell you, I don't know if we're ever called to transition anything. But I can tell you we're called to restore a lot of things and revitalize a lot of things. We can't get overzealous for about the call of God on what we are to be and what we are to do. You're not called to do everything. Ask God, what is your specific thing? Well, I want to do this and I want to do that and I want to do that. Well, stop getting zealous because it's not just about you. We are all the body of Christ, made up individually, connected together, all having an individual purpose. There are things that you, now this is the pastor saying this, there are things that you can do that I can't do and that I was never called to do, and that's why I've got to invest in you so that we can all come together and accomplish the things that we are called to do. And you better call checkmate on me if I ever get out of that. We can't puff ourselves up when we see victory. Because it's not about our glory. It's about his. Judges chapter 21. Getting to the end. I'm only an hour 20 minutes. I'm doing pretty good. That's, that's a usual sermon for me. So, Can I? Give, give me 10 more minutes, believe it or not, okay? Has, has this been okay? Yes. All right. The Israelites had bowed at Mizpah. And remember, 600 men left. No women, no children, no livestock, no town. How many tribes of Israel did God want? 12. We down to 11 and 600 men of the tribe of Benjamin. The Israelites made a bow at Mizpah. We'll never give our daughters in marriage to a man from the tribe of Benjamin. Do you realize what they just did? Let's read on. The people went to Bethel, sat in the presence of God until evening, weeping loudly and bitterly. 
O Lord God of Israel, they cried, why has this happened to Israel? Now one of our tribes is missing from Israel. You ever blame God for your mistakes? Why would you do this, God? The church does that all the time. God, ain't you in control? Let me say it very plainly for those of you that don't know where I stand on this. I am only in control when those who are my co-laborers carry out my plans. I don't control everything because I'm too just for that. My will is carried out when my sons and daughters who I paid to get back carry it out. So influence the culture and vote. Influence the culture and pray that fraudulent things get exposed. Influence the culture. I'm going to say this real plain. And even though COVID-19 is the most horrible thing ever, read your flipping Bible and lay hands on the sick. That was the ugliest jump. What about social distancing? This is real. I'm this tempted to post this week, anyone with COVID, we're going to have a healing session at Relentless. We want to lay hands on you. I'm, I'm serious. I might need security to help me out. There were 400, there were these 600 men left, but they made a vow to never let them marry their daughters from the other 11 tribes. So the tribe of Benjamin was doomed, and they realized they had just messed up because God wants 12 tribes, and their zeal took one. So look what happens in verses 4 through 15. Early the next morning, the people built an altar, presented their burnt offerings and peace offerings on it. They said, who among the tribes of Israel didn't join us at Mizpah when we held our assembly in the presence of the Lord? Because remember, they just made this covenant. We can't let anyone marry with Benjamin because we're too prideful. We can't let our people, we don't let our daughters marry with them because they just did all this bad stuff and we just won the victory. We can't admit our defeat. Blah, 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 blah. I don't, that was really fast. 24 hours, I'm jacked. I don't know where I'm at. Who among the tribes of Israel did not join us at Mizpah when we held our assembly in the presence of the Lord? At that time, they had taken a solemn oath in the Lord's presence, vowing that anyone who refused to come would be put to death. The Israelites felt sorry for their brother Benjamin and said, Today, one of the tribes of Israel has been cut off. How can we find wives for the few who remain, since we've sworn by the Lord not to give them our daughters in marriage? Because, you know, the Lord can't forgive you. So they asked, who among the tribes of Israel did not join us in Mizpah when we assembled in the presence of the Lord? And they discovered that no one from Jabesh Gilead had attended this assembly. Now you would have think that these idiots would have learned by now. Verse 9. For after they counted all the people, no one from Jabesh Gilead was present. So the assembly sent 12,000 of the best warriors to Jabesh Gilead with orders to kill everyone there, including the women and the children. This is what you're to do, they said. 
completely destroy all the males and every woman who's not a virgin. Among the residents, uh, see, that, that's what we need to use to preach purity. Among, <laughs> <that's>, <laughs> verse 12. Among the residents of Chavis Gilead, they found 400 young virgins who had never slept with a man. And they brought them to the camp at Shiloh in the land of Canaan. The Israelite assembly sent a peace delegation to the remaining people of Benjamin. Now look what just happened. We need to find 600 virgins so that we can marry them to our 600 Benjamites so that they can populate. So how are we going to do it? Let's go to that town and kill everyone except 400 virgin girls. The men of Benjamin turned to their homes in verse 14, and the 400 women of Jabesh Gilead who had been spared were given to them as wives, but there were not enough women for all of them. 600 men, 400 women. The people felt sorry for Benjamin because the Lord had made this gap among the tribes of Israel. You can't do one bad thing to fix another bad thing. Look how far away the people of God are. They came before God, did all the stuff, but they took it in their own hands. Well, let's kill another entire town of people so that we can steal their women and make up for our mistake. Why didn't they just renounce the vow? Even in killing off an entire town, the, 40, the 400 virgins were not enough. Because the only one that can supply your every need is not your strategy and not your way. It's God. And we need to remember that we are not to rely on our way going into 2021. But we need to submit every issue, every victory, and everything before him. And the last verses of Judges 21, look at this. So the elders of the assembly asked, well, how can we find wives for the few who remain since the women of the tribe of Benjamin are dead? There must be heirs for the survivors so that an entire tribe of Israel is not wiped out. But we can't give them our own daughters in marriage because we've sworn with a solemn oath that anyone who does this will fall under God's curse. They're all obsessed with about their vows, but let's just kill this entire town and get their virgins. Do you, do you see the hypocrisy? Then they, brought a, then they thought of the annual festival of the Lord held in Shiloh, south of Lebanon, north of Bethel, along the east side of the road that goes from Bethel to Shechem. They told the men of Benjamin who still need wives, go and hide in the vineyards. When you see the young women of Shiloh come out of their dances, rush out from the vineyards, and each of you can take one of them home to the land of Benjamin to be your wife. Let me put this in layman's terms. Last time... We've already taken out two towns, and that didn't work to make up for our mistakes. So now, let's come up with a kidnapping scheme. When those young girls are dancing and drunk, kidnap them so we can populate Benjamin again to make ourselves right. Verse 22, when their fathers and brothers come to us in protest, we'll tell them, Please be sympathetic. 
Let them have your daughters. So we didn't find wives for all of them when we destroyed Jabesh Gilead. We killed an entire city. We didn't find them. Can we, still, can we please have your daughters? And you're not guilty of breaking the vow since you did not actually give your daughters to each of them in marriage. So the men and Benjamin did as they were told. Each man caught one of the women as she danced in the celebration, carried her off to be his wife. They returned to their own land. They rebuilt their towns and they lived in them. And the people of Israel departed by tribes and families and returned to their homes. There's one more verse, but I'm not reading it yet. Instead of confessing their sin, all these times, murder, 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 and now a kidnapping scheme. Well, they got the tribe of Benjamin back together. But here's the funny part. You know how when we started Judges, it was 400 years of no king? Out of this tribe of Benjamin, guess who came out of this first king of Israel? King Saul. And look at how that turned out. <laughs> they kept trying to make up for their wrongs and more wrongs and more injustices. And if the church thinks that we're going to battle what's going on with making excuses for sin and calling it a loving paradigm that's that's not how we that's not how we war with it if we think we're going to change this area and call it waiting on God when really it's just a mass for being passive Christians that's that's not what it's going to if we think that we're going to make up for years of just talking about God and not do anything about it, and we're just going to call it faith and his timing, that's not going to do it. We've got to take our responsibility and say, you know what? We haven't been walking forward in our identity. And in 2021, it's time we get going in it. No more kingless kingdoms in my life. I'm going to do this. This year is going to be a year for my God to reign in my life. And he's going to get every thought, every decision. And even, as long as it aligns with his government, government, that's going to be my decision. And if his government says lay hands on the sick, that's going to be my government. But if you don't know how to do that, then I suggest you get empowered in the house that will show you how. Instead of just saying, one day. I believe that Savannah is going to have a new name, but it will be dependent upon a church rising up and giving a name to it. The last verse of Judges 12, 21 is... It says, in those days, Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. We cannot go into 2012 with a, a mindset of let's do whatever seems right. Everything has to flow out of what is right according to my God. There are not many truths. There are not many correct theologies. There is not many correct doctrines. There is one truth. 
and I'm committing 2021 to this. I'm walking in whatever that one truth is. And if people want to call me what they want to call me, they can say what they want to say. As long as my God says, well done, good and faithful servant. And I want to pastor that house. I believe we can see no more kingless kingdoms in the church. And this is going to be a year where we really start to influence this area. No more kingless kingdoms. No more kingless kingdoms. Can we say that? No more kingless kingdoms. Amen? Let's stand. Can we just give God praise? Come on. Let's just give him praise right now. 2021 is going to be an incredible year. Lord, we decree that this is a year of no more kingless kingdoms and the church is going to walk into its identity as the people of God ready to do whatever you would have us to do at whatever the cost, as long as it gives you glory, as long as it makes you famous, God. We are all about what you want. We are not about what we want. We commit to being a servant of all. We commit to being your servants, God. We commit to walking into our identity as sons and daughters that you have purchased for us, God. And we will be the people people that you can count on to say go and we will go without hesitation that we will be your people to do whatever you call us to do Lord I pray for every house that was connected in this 24 hours of worship that there will be a multiplication and an acceleration in those houses that there will be a fire and a flame that is fanned uh, throughout these houses and they will see it as early as tomorrow morning in their services that they will see an increase because there is a coming together of your church. No more division, but unity in the right places so that you are exalted on high. And it's in your name we pray. We love you, Lord. Everybody said, amen. Amen. amen.